we talk a lot about change in EFT, but what really creates change? What really creates physiological shifting, synchronicity, and co-regulation? Excited to share this information with you today. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. All right, Ryan. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Um, want to hear from you. Ryan got to be uh, mm-hmm. kind of co-contributor on this research project, and we're going to interview a newly certified EFT therapist, Dr. Julia Conroy. Uh, but Ryan, just to, I, I know you got really excited when you came out of this. What mm-hmm. was the big takeaway from you from this research project? Yeah, well, first, a couple things. Oh, there you go. Just we're going to keep taking a few sidebars from our stuck series, but uh, we are coming back to that. Some important uh, episodes coming up pretty soon I'm excited about. Also, I want to say welcome, Dr. Julia Conroy. Um, you know, there's a lot of great EFTers around the world who not everyone knows their name, but they're out there doing amazing work, and they're making a huge difference in the world. And so... We just want to say, uh, if you're one of them, we do see you in a strange form of seeing because you change our lives. And we want to say thank you for going to bat and doing hard things and showing up for people in hard spots. Thank you for your work. And one of those people who uh, is exceptional that not everyone knows their name is Dr. Julia Conroy, Lily Certified. And uh, she is, yeah, not only is she newly certified and finished her PhD in the last few years studying EFT things. Um, but she also is one of the um, administrators of the Arkansas EFT Center. So we're uh, quadruple thankful uh, for Julia. So back to your question. What <laughs> yeah. was my ta- big takeaway? Yeah. What yeah. Well, why did, what, what is it that excited you about the findings in this research project? Yeah. So I'll let Julia share some more of the logistics. She has, this is her research project that I just helped. Uh, so she'll know more of much of the information. But, you know, I was the therapist involved in the first round of the study. Uh, with a couple, and uh, they had very expensive watches on um, that that um, they were more than just fitness watches. They were really picking up on all kinds of um, skin temperature, yeah, biophysiological yeah. data points. They could really tell what the body was doing, heart mm-hmm. rate, heart and, and and how it related to the other factors, and uh, you know, it spit it out in in a graph in a in more real time than what a heart rate monitor typically yes. does. Julie was in the next office as I was working with this young couple, and so you know, to the point to answer your question, um, I only saw them for eight sessions. They were a couple who, honestly, were were you know, I would say marginally distressed. Um, they were happy to do research. Um, so, in, in fact, it, it created a little bit of anxiety for me knowing that we were studying this because they started every session one through eight saying we're doing well. All right. Mm-hmm. So, which is, you know, uh, not a huge problem, but it is a little bit of a problem. We, we, we work with problems for a living. So anyway, um, but the, the biggest takeaway for me was, and, and this is one of the reasons that uh, emboldens me, even on this podcast to talk about the difference between what actually is happening in the attachment dance in the relationship and the story that's been constructed about it. Because the story that people tell you, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into those stories. Sometimes it's protecting their own ego. Sometimes it's like, hey, here's 
here's the level of vulnerability I want to uh, share with you. Here's what I want you to think about us. So those stories that people say to describe their situation are remarkably, uh, <clears throat> you know, either inaccurate or not very useful. To the point, this couple, session one through eight, all said we're doing great. And yet the the data, what the what the watches and the information that was coming out is their bodies said otherwise. They were not in synchronicity at all. They were really incongruent. They were not on the same page at all. Every session, uh, although more so in sessions six, seven, and eight. So you could literally physiological see, physiologically see uh, the brain or the body changing as we work through the EFT process. In particular, in session five, at no, you know, intentional effort for me, I am uh, coming off of a good report, uh, although there was a little bit of a fight that week, which helped actually, because we had a little bit more of a, a danger cue to work with. And I'm just using assembly. Um, my process is reflecting, validating, trying to be with people. I'm not thinking assembly, of course. I'm just, that's just what I'm trained to do. And uh, one of them, as I was going through sort of the pain that happens when they take a, a sort of a not-so-great attachment message in the cycle with their partner, um, as I'm just hanging out in emotion, as emotion somehow strangely does, it, it starts to bubble up, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And that person dropped into a very traumatic story about a parent who had uh, committed suicide. And so, of course, we went with that and tried to stay with that tolerance window as, as long as we can. When it seemed like the right time, I set up an enactment, which led to a string of enactments. Um, and, you know, we did EFT, not knowing that um, that would be the most synchronized they would ever be across eight hours together. And so cool thing, I'll let Julia tell more about this in a minute. She videos all those sessions. She takes that with her, that segment, uh, to her um, dissertation committee, who was kind of anti-EFT. And uh, she's like, it was, I wish I'd gone. I was out of town or I would have attended. But she said it was a really great moment. The whole room was in tears. It was so like, it just goes to show you how when we, when we are willing to let our hearts be seen and people show up for us, how this sets a whole new chain of events that even affected these people's lives and, of course, uh, Julia's research. So what it taught me, once again, you know, be careful overly sort of trusting the story that people have um, early on. Trust emotion. Trust uh, what the body's telling you. Trust the process. And that in the enactment is where the co-regulation was really happening. It wasn't in the story. It wasn't in the skills. It wasn't all the organization, though that is important to get there. It was in the emotion and in the enactment. The corrective experience literally changed their body. Wow, Ryan. Thank you so much for just kind of sharing that. And so we really appreciate your work and contributing to that. But we definitely want to take a moment and kind of get to the head researcher of this project, uh, Dr. Julia Conroy. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Do you believe in the mission of this podcast for you, for your colleagues, and for your clients? If you do, we'd like to invite you to invest with us. Yeah, nothing happens without an investment. 
-hmm. I believe in the things that we're talking about make a difference in people's lives, like real lives that affect generations. So we'd love it if you'd invest with us. For sure, if you're uh, having difficulties financially, please do not give. If you serve a very underserved population, do not give. But if, if the ideas from this podcast you use professionally, we'd love to invite you to invest with us to keep this thing going. All right, y'all. So welcome back. Thank you, Ryan, for just kind of giving your take. And we appreciate you. But why not talk to the person who is really in charge of the research, research, the brain behind the whole thing, Dr. Julia Conroy, everybody. Oh, wow. Thank you. I know, right? (laughs) So, Julia, so help me. Like, I really appreciated your article because um, it helped me really see like where is it we need to be the target mm-hmm. zone the power of enactments uh, stuck out for me mm-hmm. and so I guess I want to take a moment for you and just what are the takeaways from you as the researcher what is it you hope that this article says to the EFT community mm. wow uh, I just really wanted to have something that was practically helpful for people I think Obviously, EFT finds its roots in research. There's plenty of outcome research to come from, but I really wanted to contribute something that said, okay, what's something that we can really clarify the change process? What enhances it? What helps it to come along? Where do we get stuck? Something that really can be applied, like to trainings, right? And and really help clarify for people this is what research shows happens in the change process. So this is how we can do it more effectively. That that was really my heart behind the research. Okay, wow. So what really happens in the change process? So what did you note from the research? What would you what did you see happening in the change process? Mm-hmm. What did it tell you about that? So a lot of it was really founded on this idea of co-regulation, which is um, I just think the the bread and butter. Um, of what EFT is really saying is that in order to better regulate ourselves and our emotions, because we can't stop the world from being stressful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we can moderate our response to it. And the biggest tool, right, according to EFT in that is resourcing another, right? Mm -hmm. Co-regulating with another in my stressful spots, Mm -hmm. right? Helps me to stay more level. It helps me to stay more grounded. Um, And so I really wanted to kind of highlight how do we measure co-regulation, right? If that's what we're looking to do, if that's what we're saying allows people to have more healthy, more adaptive functioning, how do we capture that sense of co-regulation? You know, kind of the dance, right, that is always talked about in EFT. How can we measure that? How can we put a number to it? Because we can ask clients about it, but what's an objective way that we can really measure that and see the way that that takes place Um, Yes, like outside of session, but also how can we do that more effectively in session, facilitate the dance that's going on between them? Okay, so in your research project, how did you do that? How did you make it more objective? Yeah, so there's, um, I had a lot of help. Um, I want to qualify with that. There's a great team um, in the local math department that I'm very thankful for um, because I found uh, this data analysis called um, surrogate synchrony, 
which basically measures how in sync are two measurements that we're taking at a time. So if I go up, you go up with me. If I go down, you go down with me. Um, And basically it accounts for some lag time. Like it doesn't have to be perfectly synchronous, but it kind of can account also for that sense of, okay, I'm watching you do this thing. And it takes me a few seconds to get there with you, but eventually I trend there too. Um, So it's using this analysis that says, um, oh, and let me back up a little bit. And I know that probably Ryan already touched on this. Um, We had clients wearing wristbands that were tracking blood pressure, heart rate, skin temperature, even like the electrical current that runs over the current or the surface of your skin. All of these are different stress measures. So we took... um, all four of these measures and we're looking, okay, how synchronous is this couple over the course of the EFT counseling process? How related, how are their patterns trending together and separately? Um, And using this data analysis, we're able to quantify how in sync uh, the two are over the course of time. I feel like I just want to start saying bye, bye, bye. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, no. So, but so I like this. So maybe we could explore that. Let's go with the other one first, because this is the one we are paid to deal with as mm-hmm. EFTers. When did you notice, like in your research, when were couples like you noticed like they just weren't in sync, and what was going on there? Right, a lot of the kind of less in sync, um, bye 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 moments um, <laughs> were uh, kind of around more of like the cognitive storytelling, right? A lot of the reframing works. A lot of you know when you're getting two different narratives right from like you, you just have to do that information collecting, mm-hmm. right? To kind of your the therapist is regulating with each of them, but oftentimes that doesn't necessarily bring them together. So around like those cognitive reframes, tracking out the cycle, um, even kind of, especially like on intake, when they're coming in and saying, okay, this is my perspective, this is my perspective, you're just kind of building that sense of rapport with them. And um, that those were found to be less synchronous sessions. Um, And the ones that indicated more synchrony were ones where they were kind of sharing maybe those more primary emotions that were driving that sense of the cycle. Um, Even the couple that we looked at, they had, they um, like suffered an attachment loss for both of them. And there was so much synchrony around that session where they both talked about what that sense of loss meant for them, Mm -hmm. right? And the fear that came up that they, as one expressed that sadness, the other was right there with them, um, which was really beautiful to see. And so it was really those those um, conversations that were more centered on attachment longings, attachment fears, attachment, um, even some prote- like laying down on some of those protections. Um, but that was where we saw the most synchronicity uh, between the two of them. Wow. So if I'm understanding correctly, so some of it is there is a, a cognitive load that we have to do in EFT. Yeah. And you say this in your article, we have to provide that frame. This yes. is one Jim Furrow definitely taught me early mm-hmm. in my career. You know, um, you can want to go after the emotion, but you got to have a frame to put it on. So while that frame is necessary, we got to do that. You know, me and George were just in a training. He was talking about the value of psych ed. We don't want to wage war on psych ed. Psych ed can provide a frame. But here's what I want us to But psych ed is not the emotional synchrony we're looking for but it can provide a frame to where to hang those emotions, right? Perfect. And I do, I think the visual of a frame is just so accurate here 
where it's like, I don't want to live in a house that's just a framework, (laughs) right? Like when you drive by and you just see like the wood and you're like, I can tell what the shape of that is and I can like visualize it, but I do not want to live there, right? That's not where I'm going to be comfortable. That's not where good change and good things are going to happen, right? But it's so necessary, right, to hang the rest of it on because what we saw in early sessions is, Um, right, our clinician was building that sense of a framework, right, that's what allowed, right, for the the sense of co-regulation to take place between them, because we had addressed kind of those more dysregulated, out-of-sync spots, right, and that allowed them to feel safe enough to come forward in that sense. Wow. So I love that. And then what you saw is as you got into more synchronous sessions, and what brought the synchrony was, really talking about, like you said, the primary emotion, longings, mm-hmm. injuries. It was something about that. Right. The ability, and I guess that makes sense, you know, when I think about been in training with George and Ryan, and part of what they, the way they define emotion is, it's just a signal from the body trying to give you information and put out a signal to mm-hmm. draw in a response. So when you set up and you have sessions where there's a clear signal, and particularly though for you, and Ryan kind of said this, it's around not only just that the emotions in the room, it was at the enactment time. Mm. What did you see happen around enactments? Oh, man. It was amazing to watch those timestamps, especially those deeper enactments. Our, our clinician got into some pretty deep, like, uh, like step three processing. Mm-hmm. Around those more primary places, you just saw, and I do, I think this was the most mm-hmm. impactful thing for me as a clinician. You just saw heart rate shoot through the roof okay. for the partner that shared. Uh-huh especially like, yes, as they maybe recognize like, okay, I'm about to be set up for an enactment. But when they made that eye contact, that's where we saw these spikes, right? But also we we saw this spike in the receiving partner, right? That recognized this is a big deal, right? And I want to honor this. And the the spike in, in their heart rate maybe wasn't as intense or as extreme, right? But it showed, hey, I'm heightened here. Like, I really want to do a good job of receiving and honoring what this is um, for those enactments that that went really well, that that's kind of the, again, the synchronicity we saw between both of them kind of upregulating in that moment because they appreciated and honored, right, what was being facilitated in that moment. And I think as a clinician, on my heavier days, I can't even imagine how many enactments I ask for, <laughs> right? So I'm so used to them, and I am so used to them being there, um, and I'm so used to asking for that. But seeing the way that their heart rate went up, I think it just helped me get in tune with, well, I need to remember what I'm asking for in every enactment. Mm. I need to honor the risk and make sure I see what I'm asking of my client. Because if I'm treating this just like another intervention that – lands for them the same as validation, right, then I'm going to be less attuned. I need to really honor the risk that they're taking, right, that their body is even appreciating, right, in these spikes. And I think that that was one of the most impactful things for me to see. Whoa, Julia, thank you. That's a, there's a lot of nuggets in that. I don't want to go back over. I wish I could see Julia right now. Like she's resonating, like her research is <laughs> resonating through her even right now. I appreciate it. Um, man, there's a there's a couple pieces I want to get here. One, I do want to honor. There's some good psych ed pieces we could pull out here. Mm-hmm. So one, I like with um, Catherine Ream one time, she was talking about working with a client and the client was kind of like, do I have to do this? It was an, around enactments. Do I really have to do this? And she's like, yeah, 
because here's what the research says. Mm. And what you're what you're telling us here is if our clients are asking for emotional synchrony, that this is necessary. We have to go to these moments of emotional vulnerability mm. of primary emotion. And what I like also about it is even around what we would call what some people might call negative emotion. It's not like, oh, I feel so loved by you. This is awesome. I feel warm and caring and joyful. Even if one person's heart rate spikes because of fear, it's still synchrony when the other person's body spikes in that fear with them too. Mm-hmm. So I like that psychic piece. And there is a risk to tell our clients, hey, this riskiness is necessary. Because it is a like almost there's this unknown gap in between. And you don't know if you let your body go there. Will I just be alone with this in my own body or will my partner be able to meet me here? Mm. So we got to take this risk. Mm. So I like that. But then also it makes me think about me and Ryan have had episodes on um, why this like three or four channel is so necessary. You, you just highlighted mm. that sense of build the cognitive frame and move one, get it clear, do some of the organization work and move two. And what your, your research is saying, not even just the organization work in and of itself and move two of distilling mm-hmm. is not the emotional synchrony. Am I right about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. But then it's the moment, it, the highlight moment is when you start going for that move three. Mm-hmm. And this one, there was a big one yesterday. A client was in an emotional primary place, but they wouldn't look at their partner. And I said, hey, could you stop for a moment? Mm -hmm. I really need you to turn and let your eyes make contact with your partner. Mm -hmm. And and now I would add a psych ed piece. And I know this is hard. I know your body's probably racing. Your heart Mm -hmm. rate's probably going up. But this is the moment where we got to do it this way for Mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. So that's one part of really getting them to do. But then um, one that Ryan's helped me with is when we go for the response. The way we've been trying to teach now is when we go for that response to the enactment, go through their body first. Mm. Don't go cognitive. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Mm -hmm. What would you like to say about this? Mm. Go through their body because what Mm -hmm. your research is telling us is, hey, the chances are their body is feeling something. Mm -hmm. So to be able to go to the partner who's listening and say, wow. So as your partner does this and you see the fear or the pain or the longing, Mm. what happens in your body right now? As they take this risk and look in your eyes and share that fear. What's your body? What is your body wanting to say or do? Mm-hmm. And go through the body first. Because your research says that if synchrony is there, their bodies are probably going to be in alignment. We want to find that and help them connect mm-hmm. them what their bodies are feeling, mm-hmm. but they haven't been able to put words to together. Is that? Yeah, exactly right. And I do. I think recognizing, right, that if our, our a uh, couple is in a really different place, right? Then they might not be ready to honor that, right? Mm-hmm. And receive that yet. But when we can feel that synchrony between them, right? When mm-hmm. we recognize receiving partner really understands the weight of this, mm-hmm. um, then yes, like how can I elicit that sense of response? Yeah. Um, and I do, and sorry to be boring here, it. but like from a neurobiological level, like what's happening there, we have to get people to upregulate in our sessions so that we can train them to how to come down in a safe way. All right, nugget alert, nugget alert, <laughs> nugget alert. I don't have the button on my board again, but somebody say, bring back the nugget alerts. That's one. <laughs> can you say that again? It's necessary that we what? That we train our clients how to upregulate in a safe way in session, right? And, and so especially, um, I'm, a, I'm a relatively new mom, um, and I do, I think this is a big part of the role that I see myself having as a new mom. It's okay for, for my child to get upset, mm. right? Like it's okay that, 
you know, he has a hard time sleeping sometimes. It's okay that sometimes he doesn't get what he wants. Um, right. But what I'm trying to do, especially in these early years is just to be there with him and teach his body how to come down Mm -hmm. as he activates, as he upregulates. Right. And I'll, I like kind of have developed this practice of I'll hold him right and kind of sway him. And now what happens when he gets upset is he'll kind of rock a little bit. And I notice him just kind of rocking himself, simulating the same movement that I've done with him. Yeah. Right. I've, I've allowed him to upregulate in these ways and I've taught him a safe way to come down. And the way you teach, and you said this in your article is you point out from the research is he will learn to do that by you co-regulating with him. Yes. He yes. learns self-regulation through co-regulation mm-hmm. with you. And it's the same thing with our partners. Absolutely. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's really, it's such a hopeful message and that, that that doesn't stop <laughs> right when we're, we're out of childhood, but this is like the message of hope we get to offer our clients, mm-hmm. right? That both of you get to improve because you get to connect in these ways and you get mm-hmm. to utilize each other, mm-hmm. right? To help calm down um, and to get to a better spot. And, and that happens through us initially, right? But the hope is that they're doing that with each other. Right when they leave this place, that's why we have them talking to each other <laughs> in enactments and, and not with us. Man, I like that, Julie. And I want to go back to that three, four piece again from mm-hmm. them. That was great. And so, I like you said, not even just that the partner understands what a part I like in what your research is saying for right now. I, their understanding matters, but for right now, this way you know, I've seen Ryan doing it is invite their body into the experience. Mm-hmm. So, this happened to me today. Uh, my couple had came last week. It was a really rough session. It was hard. I'm checking in with them. And I start checking in with one partner. I say, hey, so I just want to reflect with you. Like even after last week, where's your body at now? What's the experience like for you now? And this person just goes in and says, it, I looked at my partner, what it was like to be on the receiving end of mm. me. And I could see her misery. And I felt, and I saw the consequences that if we didn't do something about it, how miserable it would be for both mm. of us. And I'm like, whoa, slow down a moment. Mm. Even as you say that, your body just kind of come. I see you like your shoulders drop. Like you, mm. even as you say misery, you feel that in your body now. Mm. And what's going in my head is, I know that's the misery she's been living in that she's been talking about. Mm. But he's never let himself come be with her in. So I want to see if his body can feel the misery mm. with her. Now, somebody's like, is that a place for people to connect? Yes, because <laughs> the worst thing to be is in mm. misery by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I like what your research keeps saying, like it's synchrony. Even if she's feeling misery, let's say if that was her enactment, I just want to share with you that in this place, when you see me shutting down, as I shut down when this place of misery comes over me. Mm. And I even feel it, and I'm scared to even talk about it now. Mm. So her body's upregulated. I want to see because what his struggle with her is not just this cognitive kind of fixing, but he doesn't let himself feel that. Mm-hmm. He does everything to keep himself out of that kind right. of thing. So her body has to go through it all alone. Going to your article, there's no co-regulation mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. But if in this moment he can feel the misery with her and her fear to talk about the misery and it's alive in his body, mm-hmm. then now they're in synchrony is what your article saying. Yes. And that's where co-regulation happens. Yes. And I do. I think this is where the three, four step is so essential because yes, her body picks up right on his upregulation of I'm, I'm distressed, right? Because I sense you are mm-hmm. right. But I do, I think at then as clinicians, as we walk through them through four as well, helping them organize, cause it's pretty chaotic. Yeah. Right. For them, they're feeling all the things, but they don't really have a place to put it. Right. 
And as we help them organize it in four, what we're doing is helping them downregulate in that spot. We're showing them a safe way to take those upregulated places, and here's how you safely come down, right? And now it doesn't have to be as scary for him to join her there, right? Because he's like, oh, we're not going to stay here forever. It's not all my fault. This doesn't have to be the most terrifying thing. Maybe I can join her there. And on top of that, because she has felt the sense of mm-hmm. someone co-regulating with her there, she's less likely to be activated in the same ways moving forward. Um, that that's really kind of the, the calm, and that's what four does from a neurobiological standpoint, right, is helping them down-regulate in a safer way, right, than maybe they've experienced before where they've had to do that individually. Yeah, I love it because it's making sense out of what happened in that encounter. Mm -hmm. So look at that. I really appreciate the risk you just took in Mm -hmm. sharing this place and how hard it was turned to look in their eyes, but you did it. Good job. Mm -hmm. And you sent a clear signal. Mm -hmm. And not only when they sent the signal, like your body took it on with them and you felt it with them, Mm -hmm. where normally the cycle makes your partner there alone and you're alone Mm -hmm. with it. But you were able to feel it with them. Mm. And not only did you feel it with them, you could turn back and say, I'm here with you. Mm. I'm sorry. I want to be. And then in that move forward, that's where we extrapolate. So let me mm. let me check back in. I'll look at you two. Like, what was that like for you in that encounter, in that enactment, mm. to be able to share that and to see your partner come join you in that misery? Mm. And then that's it's relieving for me. Oh. Right? Because before their body couldn't predict that that would happen. Then for the other partner, what was that like to see that you brought relief there, mm-hmm. that you joined your partner? Well, that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. I just thought we would drown there. But now I see like actually going there is where our hope is. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, James, I feel like I'm there right now with your couple. <laughs> right. That yeah. this is oh, what beautiful work we get to be a part of. Well, I right. want to thank you, Dr. Kyra. I know she does not take these things so well. So, well. But I thank you for your research. I mean, I know you're saying it's already out there. But I, what I thought about and I like about it is that you made it explicit for us again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what you EFTers are doing, it's not in vain. I know it can seem so abstract sometimes mm-hmm. and maybe not so tangible. I appreciate your scientific mind coming and making it more objective for us to give us that boldness. Like, hey, mm-hmm. these are the moments we got to go to. This is where change happens. And also validating this is why it's so hard. (laughs) If you feel that it's hard, you're probably just in the exact right channel, right? Because their body, right, is doing so much. It's literally like a metabolic load. Another nugget alert, though. (laughs) If if it feels hard, then that means you're probably in the right place. Yeah, if we're chatting about the weather, they're probably pretty chill, (laughs) right? And so it just, I want it to validate too. Um, the the struggle and the wrestle is so worth it, right? But I'm I'm right in the trenches there too, and and so just having numbers to why that's so hard was validating just for me personally. <laughs> well, that's cool, and I also appreciate the the balance you had in your article where you could have wanted to build your case for emotional synchrony mm-hmm. and almost devalue the cognitive organization, mm-hmm. but you didn't. You said, hey, it is necessary. It builds the frame, mm-hmm. but once again, true to EFT research, but here's the theory of change. Mm-hmm. We got to go to this place. And yeah, I just appreciate it. It's validating for the clinicians. Mm-hmm. It's validating for the clients. Mm. Wow. Any other major nuggets or things that, you know, I guess, you know, anything else you want people to take away from that research or kind of talk about where you want to go with this research? Yeah, I think another point that I just want to hit on is this idea, uh, and I mentioned it just briefly, is that there's some lagged synchrony times. 
Um, and basically what the research shows is um, maybe different partners have a different time frame of catching up to where their partner is. Right. And I would like to eventually do this research because I have a hunch, um, which is how all good research starts, um, that maybe with jars are a little bit lagging a little bit more. Maybe that it just takes them a little bit more time to process, right, because they haven't had a lot of reps of doing that, especially early on. Um, and so I think that that's another important piece of it that um, wasn't included in the article just because we had um, a word count. Um, <laughs> but that we saw over time, too, that with jars, the withdrawal that we studied took a little bit more time to synchronize, and the pursuer usually had less lag time in between what was said and, and the uh, kind of heart rate response that they had and, and then catching up to it. Um, and so that's something that I'd really like to build on in the future um, because, again, I think that that just creates more empathy, right, on what's going on in that processing speed and even how that's registering in the body. So I appreciate that's a great validation for mm -hmm. the withdrawal because that's what many of my, as you said, that mm -hmm. all their scripts started running through my head. Mm -hmm. And normally they say, I won't, I can't find it fast enough. My words get lost. Yeah. It feels like an on the spot demand that I've got to answer right away, but I don't have an answer right away. So mm -hmm. I'm in a one down, all that stuff. But really it's, and people think, well, it's because you don't care. It's because you're not listening. You mm -hmm. know, I'm not important enough. And it's no, literally like they, the George always, they just need that space. Yeah. And they will show you how they care, but they don't get that. What they It's not even they don't feel safe, always the emotion part. Mm -hmm. But I just don't have time to get my. Yeah, what experience have they had doing that, right? And so mm -hmm. it just it maybe is a little bit more effortful, right? And especially maybe the size of the emotion being shared, that that also research shows has a, a weight in that emotional processing speed. Um, and so I'd like to continue to put numbers to oh, that because okay. I think that that's a really helpful piece. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about moving forward. I loved putting something practical together and, and it is, it's my hope that it benefits um, our community and gives more numbers and, and words to what we're doing. And I'm looking forward to, we've got a, a team here in Arkansas that's looking to build on that research. Um, and we just kind of brainstormed what would be helpful for us to know in session Mm -hmm. What would be helpful for us to have numbers to? What would be helpful for us to like really put words to or to clarify? And so we're really excited to kind of pursue those uh, curiosities, mm -hmm. um, if you will, and to try to do our best to put some numbers um, and further words to them because we really want to continue putting out research that's practical, mm. right? There's a lot of theoretical things out there that maybe feels a little bit um, disjointed when it comes to especially like the psychophysiological piece. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at how can we take that data and make it really practical, change what we're doing in session so that we can better serve our populations. Wow. So what we'll, we'll try and do for you all is we'll put a link to where you can go see Dr. Uh, Conroy's uh, research article. Um, and I don't know if she has any other place where she's posting anything or whatever, but uh, thank you so much, Julia. Seriously. One, like, thank you for the EFT journey. I think she's our administrator for, as Ryan said, for Arkansas EFT. So if you've ever trained with us, you have talked to Julia <laughs> at some point in time. Uh, just thank you for all you're doing for the EFT community. Thank yeah, you. Thank you for that. I'm so honored to be a part of this because this, this podcast has been a big part of my work in session and so I'm honored to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you all. Keep pushing the leading edge of your learning and understanding and pushing the leading edge of your clients finding emotional co-regulation. <laughs> Thank you for listening. 
We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, ryanreynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.